0: Welcome to Advancing All Women with Sarah Alter, President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace, from advancing women of color to developing and engaging male allies to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19. Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues Now, here's your host, Sarah Alter. So my daughter reached out to me
1: this past year in March to ask if, you know, she and a good friend of hers could come stay the weekend. And given they're both young and lead much more exciting lives, downtown Chicago, I was a tad surprised that the boring burbs and her boring parents were alluring to them. I of course said, oh, absolutely, you are both welcome here, the more the merrier. But then I asked her, so what do we owe this honor? Mm -hmm. She gravely shared that in the aftermath of the recent tragic spa shootings and deaths in Atlanta, and the rising Asian hate sentiment everywhere, her friend, who is of Asian descent, no longer felt safe in the streets of Chicago. In fact, she wouldn't even leave her apartment unless a group of friends were with her. She just wanted to escape the fear and the hatred for just a couple of days. Nothing a parent ever, ever wants to hear. Yet my, my personal incident and situation is but one of many, 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 many. Since the pandemic, Even more staggering this stat, Asian hate crimes have spiked 150%. And mind you, this stat only represents the crimes that were even acknowledged or reported. This is a situation I have felt compelled to address. I needed to educate myself on why such a a tragedy could unfold and has for hundreds of years. The Asian community has lived and continued to grow and prosper in the U.S. for over 160 years. And it now represents over 19 countries across the world. Yet despite the fact that this community has planted their roots in the U.S. and have contributed great value to our society, they are perpetually considered foreigners. And particularly Asian women who live their lives in the intersectionality slash collision of both ethnic and gender identities that are all too often both discounted. So today we will address this challenge, this opportunity. And I am joined by three phenomenal female leaders who will not only educate you, but they will inspire you to be the advocate and ally who will step up, to stop this hate and stop this fear. I am joined by the incredible Sue Ann Hong, president and CEO of the Center for Asian Pacific American Women. I'm joined by Mariko Carpenter, VP of Marketing for North America, Nielsen IQ. And last but not least, Daphne Kwok, VP of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for the Asian American and Pacific Islander audience and Owning Strategy at AARP. Welcome to all of you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning Thank you so much. Sarah. I know. Thank you so very much for joining me today. Sue we're going to kick it off with you. Um, I referenced this incident in March. Remind the audience what it was that had unfolded.
2: Thank you so much, Sarah. Uh, well, first of all, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. So what happened on March the 16th hits home for me. Um, I've been here in Atlanta for a little over three years now. And I think from a perspective of personal experience as an AAPI woman, and also as a leader of a national organization representing AAPI women, I had a couple different uh, things that I wanted to share. One is I remember hearing uh, on television and the news about what happened with the shootings, that the eight people were killed, six of them were, you know, from a spa shooting perspective, six women were AAPI women. And the fact that, you know, we were, I think we were all in shock, first of all, the fact that these spas were not exactly next to each other. So obviously, this individual actually sought out these places, but what ultimately, initially, you know, uh, we didn't have Uh, that information. But as things unfolded, what we found out was that, you know, this was a a, a sex addiction issue for this, uh, this murderer. And but I think what was the most disturbing part, and that really hit home for me, was the fact that these women, you know, the voices weren't heard. It was the 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 voice of the murderer that was being really uh, rallied out there. The fact that he had a sex addiction, that it wasn't a hate crime, which by the way, just probably gave outrage to every AAPI woman in America and beyond. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the piece that made me realize that the, the the experience of the AAPI woman is not understood in the mainstream. The fact that these women, they're, they're like, they weren't looked upon as individuals who had lives who had families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was the initial uh, experience that I had. And then um, I think it took 48 hours for most of the organization with the exception of one to actually even react to what happened. So that was the initial experience of what happened.
1: (coughs) Yeah, sadly, it was clouded. By like three other issues and dynamics, and um, just just tragic, and 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 it, but but it was a it was a pivotal moment, right? It, it's so much of this past year and a half, and we've talked about this in, in other shows. Um, it 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 was a point of reckoning, right? And I think it it fueled and it energized the advocates for this community.
2: So, Sarah, I think what you said is very true. What I think what bothers me is the fact that it took a mass shooting to galvanize. Absolutely. The community, (laughs) the country. This was happening, you know, not that we didn't have racism before, but it was perpetuating at least a year before within that beginning of, um, you know, 2020, when we started to see anti-Asian hate rise. It was it was already happening with all the rhetoric of the Wuhan virus, the Chinese virus, the
3: mm-hmm.
2: all of the yeah. language that was being that was fueling <coughs> this anti-Asian hatred. And I know Daphne's gonna go into some of the issues with you yeah. know, the violence we're seeing with the elders and, and I mean it's so bad, it's so blatant. It's not even subtle. And so I think it was happening all along. And then it just unfortunately took a mass shooting to really bring it to light, along with what happened with George Floyd.
1: So quick uh, point of education, because I know I learned this this past week in in preparing for this show, AANHPI, share with our audience, um, because too often we think, oh, you know, the Asian community, and it's just a monolith. And as I would shared, there's like over 19 countries that represent the Asian community. But educate our audience on that.
2: Yes, it's the Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander community. And, you know... I wish we could actually show a map uh, with all of the different <laughs> Asian American yeah. <laughs> uh, communities because we are definitely not a monolith. And I think right. when you see kind of where the population of all the AAPI and uh, HPI community are, I think you'd be very, I think a majority of the people would be very surprised at where they lie, where they live, where and, they and, have a living,
1: and multi generational too. Absolutely, which you know as I'd shared, yeah, um, Mariko. What What's your personal experience been? So,
4: Sarah, you know, the, hearing your story about you, your daughter and her friends uh, really hits home for me because I'm a mom of two daughters yeah. and they were both born in New York City. This is the home that they know. Yeah. And uh, I actually was the victim of harassment uh, myself. And this happened right in the beginning, even before. Uh, it was, you know, um, it was, became a pandemic, right? As you said, uh, the initially, everybody was just calling it the, the China virus, virus, especially in New York City, uh, avoiding Chinatown, avoiding any sort of stores that had Asian uh, owners. And um, I was walking my dog and was harassed right in the block that I live in here. And uh, fortunately for my girls, they've grown up in New York City where it is diverse, probably most more diverse than, than many cities uh, in the United States. So they hadn't, they hadn't really experienced you know, this, this type of racism and it really shook them, it shook our whole family. I had to have a conversation with them. Um, after that, I didn't let them go to Dwayne Reed, which is just downstairs in my building alone. I didn't let them walk down 56th Street because that's a little darker than the other streets. Right? Um, and that really, really, and this is the only home that they know. This is their neighborhood. You know, you walk out to 57 and this is their, their street. And all of a sudden they, um, we had to be careful. We had to have this fear that they never had to experience before. So um, that that's been, uh, you know, my personal experience. Uh, but what really actually uh, opened my eyes as well is this passion of Americans, you know, who are not AAPI, um, who yeah. want to be an ally, who want to help our community, who want to understand. Um, and I think. That really, um, you know, was one, not only wonderful to see, but that ignited me personally um, to do what I can for that movement, right? To share my story, to share my voice uh, and be more active than I
1: have ever been. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Daphne, your personal experience
3: So I'll say that uh, I live in Northern Virginia, literally inside the Beltway, Washington, D.C. Beltway. And this is, I live in the home that I actually grew up in, so, you know, from almost 60 years. Uh, And I live with my parents. I'm very fortunate that they are at 95 and 88 years old. Uh, I have to say that uh, since I live with them and since the pandemic, we really have been in lockdown and we really haven't gone out. And so I I personally have not had to worry about my parents um, encountering any of the hate because they literally have not really been out. Yeah. But I have been so concerned about all my other friends and their elderly parents, especially those that are in the larger cities like New York City, like San Francisco, uh, where so much of these incidents and so many of these incidents are taking place. And uh, you know, everybody was talking about how fearful they were constantly, constantly worrying about their parents, whether they were going out, you know, are they going to be safe? Uh, and so this is um, really um, a concern. And so one recently I read something about how, you know, for actually for Asian Americans now, we are not afraid of COVID. It's not COVID that we're so fearful of right now. It is the hate that is being directed against Asians what a sad commentary and statement that is for this nation. Um, And right now, one of the things that I have uh, within AARP that I've been really alerting my colleagues as we uh, are get ready to reenter the workplace uh, in September is that for the Asian American employees, uh, our national headquarters is in Washington, DC. Uh, who are right across from a major subway stop. And so it's been fantastic that most people have been able to take public transportation in versus driving in. But for the Asian American employees, this is causing a lot of anxiety uh, because people don't want to take public transportation. They don't want to have to worry about or be fearful of being a target of um, what Mariko uh, has described to you know happen to her and to so many other people. And so we as employers uh, really need to be very cognizant about uh, our asian american employees uh what it takes and uh, what uh, they are undergoing right now uh especially as those that have children and going back to school uh as well
1: it it so, so Share with everybody, and, and again, my, my ongoing education, and thank you so much to all three of you because I have learned so much this past week with you, but the model minority myth. This has been a huge contributor to, I think, what you had shared, Sue which is, oh, well, it's just been ignored. It's not an issue, right? Um, it, it, Sue Suan, can you you know help educate our audience on that? The model minority myth. The model minority
2: myth uh, came out in the 60s by a sociologist who was describing the experience after the Japanese internment camp. And these these individuals who are, quote, succeeding and getting over and getting through the racism and the things, they're v- being very successful. So at the same time, the civil rights movement was happening with the African-American community, and they were, were outspoken, they were, you know, ha- they were challenging. And it's like, well, why can't you be more like these Asian people who are working hard, they're doing what they need to do and they're succeeding. So it must be a you problem. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that that pits the different groups against each other in terms of, you know, like it's pitting them against each other. So it's keeping them divided. And at the same time, this notion that, if you do, if you have you're having challenges you're if you're not succeeding that's a that's an individual problem versus a societal issue and so it's very damaging from that aspect and so from a historical perspective yeah. um, and I actually pulled out the article the actual article that was uh, published by this gentleman I thought it was just fascinating how he described it but um, and the other thing about this as it relates to today's world is how you know, Asian people are perceived, whether it's in the workplace or want to keep your head down, work hard. And, you know, you you know, you don't hear much from them. They're kind of invisible, all these different things, but they, you know, they produce, they're good technically, all these stereotypes Mm -hmm. that gets put upon uh, Asian people. I think it damages, right? It, It, at first, it sounds like a compliment. Oh, she's, you know, so hardworking, but it kind of puts them in a box, yeah, yeah. you know? So I think, so to me, like you have to understand the historical context of where, where it came from and then how does it kind of play out in today's world? So, you know, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, and there isn't the, the economic inequity either. Right. So it, that's misleading as well. Someone's, someone was going to say something. Uh, I, I was going to say Daphne, yes, Sarah, yeah. if I could
3: add to that and then uh, to add on to what Sue Ann just uh, commented on, especially when it comes to the federal government, the public sector benefits. You know, here we are. We are tax paying citizens as well, too. Uh, and often we get left out of programs, benefits, uh, because the notion is, oh, Asian-American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders, oh, you know, they're highly educated, they're, you know, at the top of the uh, wealth income, and so therefore they don't need any assistance. This couldn't be further than the truth. Yes, of course, we do have very fortunate people in our communities that are on that spectrum economically, but boy, the majority of the AA and HPI community are falling in poverty. We have some of the highest poverty rates over any group, and that is not known. And the only reason we know that is through the disaggregation of data. For the limited data that is collected about our community, it is so key and critical to actually break it down to the Samoan community, the Korean, the Hmong community, uh, the Burmese so that we actually get an accurate snapshot of the real needs uh, of those communities. And poverty, ed- education, most the modern minority myths shows and tells people, oh, Asians go to the top most elite uh, schools in this country. Well, you know, more than fifty percent of our community actually go to junior and community colleges, uh, and so and so and we have some communities that uh, high school attainment is not uh, a given. So. Um, we have a lot to talk about in the model minority myth. And I'll just throw one thing out because I actually worked in the disabilities community for a little bit in the Asian community. And one thing I learned is that for Asian American Pacific Islanders uh, who have hidden disabilities, that is an added compound when you put on top of that the yeah. model minority yeah. myth. And one young woman said, I have a hidden disability and I could not excel and succeed in school, and yet my teacher saw me as an Asian American, assumed I would be excelling in, in the studies. And I couldn't uh, because of the hidden disability. And so we have to be very cognizant about this. Yeah. Marco. Yeah.
4: Yeah, And I just I would also, you know, add, add to exactly what what Daphne and Sue Ann was talking about in that when you look at the census data, for instance, and you look at Asian-American, we do have the highest household income. Right. And I think that's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. oh, Asians are doing well. Yeah. Um But we are actually the community that has the highest disparity between the wealthy and the, uh, you know, uh, in in, in income, right? So you have your uh, South Asian's who are doctors making the highest income, but then you have the lowest. you know, uh, you have the Burmese, you have the Hmong uh, who are immigrants, recent immigrants, um, you know, living under the poverty line. So I think that disparity is hidden when you look at the aggregate data that, that Daphne was talking about. And oftentimes that's the only data that people see. So that that compounds to this this perception. And, you know, I'm a data person. So I will also say that, you know, AAP, um, AAPI or ANHPI are actually more, there's more, uh, more of us in the workplace than non-Hispanic whites, right? Uh, we have 67% of our community in the workplace. Um, you know, we have more married couples, almost half of them are dual income. So talk about, you know, us working uh, and contributing to the community. Uh, we, we, are, we are, you know, and, and even thinking about the small business owners, right? Uh, they are the backbone of commerce in this country. Absolutely. So absolutely. um to to have that vision of all well, we're doing well. Well, if we're all doing well, we wouldn't be working, you know, to dual income day in and and, and day out and 24 four hour jobs and you know, all of that. So uh I think you know, shedding light on that is is really important. So I'm so glad, uh Sarah, that you asked you asked that question.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause it 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 the other thing you you had shared with me this past week, MIH. So not (laughs) MIA, but MIH and that missing in history, right? So many of the things that has happened over the last several hundred years, it hasn't been shared openly. You know, know, in our school systems, we're not being educated in the history that's led up to this perpetual bias and stereotype. and, And, you know, and so it's like we need to break that cycle. Right. We need to educate, you know, we need to embrace and celebrate the different cultural differences and strengths and opportunities. And that's, that's that stake that we need to put in the ground for sure. Um, perpetual foreigner. Who wants to tackle that one? Daphne.
3: <laughs> well, I think as we've talked about the model minority myth, the other uh, moniker yeah. that uh, seems to be flashing on the forehead of all Asian Americans is the perpetual foreigner Uh, and granted uh, that Asian Americans, uh, Asians didn't really immigrate into the United States until after 1965 with the passage of the Immigration Act. And that's relatively recent history, right? 1965, Um, because we were purposely excluded uh, from immigrating into the US with the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882. Uh, which was not rescinded until 1943. Now that's uh, a specific group of, in the U.S. history, a very specific group of people specifically excluded from entering the United States. Uh, And so this is part of, unfortunately, uh, U.S. uh, immigration history that is very racist. It is uh, based on uh, it's been used against Asians and other uh, uh individuals from other countries as well too uh but this whole perpetual foreigner issue uh really has continued to translate and uh i'll i'll just say right now uh under covid right here it, it, our loyalty asian 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 pacific americans our loyalty to the, to the us has always been questioned but under covid here we are among the Top-line people that have been trying to help save lives, like Dr. David Ho, uh, who's been trying to find a cure, and he was one of the ones that found the AIDS cure. You know, we have Filipino nurses who uh, actually are on the front line as well too. Uh, they are only four percent of the nursing core in the U.S., but they make up twenty-six percent of the COVID deaths of the medical pro- professionals right now. And Dr. Peter, uh, Mr. Peter Tai, who was a founder of the N95 mask, which everyone was trying to get um, to protect ourselves. So we are uh, very much contributors to this nation.
1: Absolutely. So thank you all for framing the situation so nicely. Um, Clearly an opportunity for us to do a better job, stepping up, advocating, being that ally, taking action. We're going to take a short commercial break, and I want to thank everybody who's been listening along to our Advancing All Women radio show. You can check us out at newonline.org for more information on new and all of our podcasts. But hang in there with us, because in this next segment, this next half an hour, we're going to talk about how we can all as leaders and organizations step up to do a better job supporting and advancing AANHPI uh, female leaders in the workplace. So we'll be back.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: Network of Executive Women is a nonprofit dedicated to advancing all women and transforming our workplaces through the power of community. We are a growing community of more than 13,500 professional women and men, representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. We are a strong, collective voice for everyone in the corporate world who wants to see gender equality become a reality, and we welcome all who champion our cause. Members of NEW gain access to a broad network of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development. Corporate organizations also gain access to DEI solutions, which fosters a more inclusive and productive work culture. Plus, members can engage across NEW's 22 regional communities and attend two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and leadership. Join Network of Executive Women today. Visit newonline.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member of NEW. That's N-E-W online slash membership.
4: Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us.
1: There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear. And listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Network of Executive Women? Visit our website today at newonline.org. That's newonline.org. Now back to Advancing All Women.
1: Well, welcome back everybody you are listening to sarah alter and the advancing all women radio show i am joined today by sue ann hong president and ceo of the center for asian pacific american women mariko carpenter vp marketing north america at nielsen iq and daphne Kwok, vp of dei and strategy for the asian american and pacific islander audience at AARP, A-A-R-P. Our topic at hand, how can we all as leaders and organizations better support the advancement of female AANHPI leaders in the workplace? Okay, so no better place to start on that discussion than with Sue Ann Hong. Sue Ann, tell us about your incredible organization.
2: Sarah, thank you. Uh, the Center for Asian Pacific American Women Started in May of 1995 by Martha Lee, who was a Kellogg fellow, and she really, oh. you know, she realized that you know what, Asian American women were having problems getting to leadership tables. They, I didn't care how if they had PhDs, what kind of skill set they have, they had difficult time being taken seriously as leaders. And so the hundred women. Hundred warrior sisters all gave a hundred dollars to start this organization. And it was really to do three things. Number one is to give them a place to go where they have, you know, other women who were experiencing yeah. similar things and to give them a network and to not to be alone. Right. Number two is to give them skill sets and being really rooted into their heritage. And how does that then give them strength as they have to translate that into Western style culture of leadership, which is what gets them promoted. Mm -hmm. And then the third is representation. And the fact that you don't see at that time, you didn't see a lot of Asian American women in boardrooms or as CEOs, So they needed other women as role models. So those are the things that we're trying to accomplish come to today And today with COVID-19, we can't do the session like we did traditionally, face-to-face in person. Mm -hmm. So as of November of this year, I am relaunching the whole program digitally. And I want to be able to give access to women to the program and to be able to give them, so it won't matter where they sit geographically. Yeah. And I think it's still important because at the end of the day, there's been studies. I don't think I I need one more study that tells me oh, that we need I a know. mentor, <laughs> a sponsor, and like I don't need. Please, I don't need any more data. And no offense, yeah. America, I know you love data, but we have <laughs> enough studies. And it and what's interesting is the the lean in study and the McKinsey study, as you're familiar with, Sarah. It talks about the broken rung, which means that it's that beginning of career, that year one to five, that really makes a difference because women of color do not get the same kind of intel as a Caucasian man about what it is that they need to do to maneuver through and to be able to have a career plan that's very specific. And so, as an example, understanding that these women if they want to move up in the organization need to be in an area where there's pro- they're managing profit and loss as an example and the fact that if you know a lot of them end up in yeah. learning and development yeah. hr and other supporting departments but ultimately you got to understand the business so those are some things how to maneuver culturally what do we need to do to understand the landscape so you know it's not all, always about logic you know, the fact that what you think seems logical, this should be the way it is. It is not always about logic. So e- I think that's E-Q, the part.
1: right? Exactly. <laughs>
2: so those are some things. So communication skills is a big one for AAPIs, especially on how to be influential. And what do I need to do to have a conversation with my boss about being promoted, or a salary increase. So if mm-hmm. you don't get the salary increases from the beginning, you know, of, of your career, that's going to impact throughout multiple years, time value of money, all those years you're going right. to be working, it impacts. So I, I just wanted to share that as far as framing what, how did we start? And then how is that relevant to now? And Daphne is a fellow, by the way. So I have to give her, you know, credit because she's continually tied to I won't let her go anyway. So. <laughs> no, yeah. so what I
1: what I love about your organization, Suanne, is you're 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 the community, right? The network for the individual. You clearly are helping to develop and empower the individual, you know, female leader, but then you also provide corporate solutions, right? And to your point, it's not about collecting any more data. Um, although Marco, we're going to get to you next, cause I do want to talk about the data you can share <laughs> with the group, but, um, but you're, it's, it's an incredible, incredible group. And how can people find you? What is your, so, what is your URL? <laughs> yeah,
2: my URL is www.APAWOMEN.org. And we are also, you know, KAPAW, we're, um, CTRAPA Women is our, um, hashtag. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, as well as, uh, LinkedIn
1: and Facebook. Yeah. So Mariko, talk to us about where, where do female Asian leaders sit today, but an eye towards the future, you know, is there opportunity? Have we made progress or still woefully behind?
4: Yeah. So I will say that, um, we have, I think, there is progress, but there's definitely, obviously, room room to uh, to grow. And I, I, you know, I think I'll just talk about even even my own experience of, of the. Oh, change, please. Right? Yeah. So when I was, you know, when I was younger, um, I didn't, I I hid my identity as is as Asian American, right? Um, and actually, I was an Asian American. I consider myself Japanese American. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have this law, you know, this sense of belonging to the Asian community. Whereas the Asian community today, we have more than half who are now U.S. born, you know, and that dynamic is changing within our community. Mm-hmm. And when you have uh, Asian Americans and Asian women, uh, young women who are growing up here in the United States, what's happened is that they are really embracing their heritage they know how to go from the Western to their Eastern heritage. Um, and exactly. that is really um, opening the eyes of everybody around them. Uh, so if you think about a lot of these Asian influencers, you know, they, they, have, they have audiences who are all diverse, right? Not just Asians, but uh, white Americans, all, all Americans. And they can talk about their Chinese grandmother, you know, or they could actually do a video where they're speaking Chinese very comfortably, but that brings in uh, other all Americans into our life, right? To see who we are as people. And that story is actually what's helping us with representation, you know, uh, and and helping us to get into these diverse professions. Uh, When you're an immigrant, can't go into politics. It's very hard, right? Because you don't know anyone. You can't really go into Hollywood because there too, it's who you know. But now you're starting to see Asians in so many diverse professions. Um, and and that is helping us to tell our story, see us as Americans. And then by virtue of that, getting more opportunity um, in the workplace and also, uh, you know, shedding light To the uh, Asian American working working woman, so I think you know while it is about that 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 uh, storytelling and in people like you, Sarah, who actually give us a platform to tell our story, which is impacting the advancement of uh, of
1: Asian Americans on all fronts. Yeah, no, and it's it's embracing and celebrating the diverse experiences, perspectives, you know, cultural dynamics and the fact that someone's multilingual, right? It it just makes you exponentially more valuable, you know, as as a leader. And it's just, that's, that's just like, that's business 101, <laughs> or at least it should be. Sadly, it isn't always. Um, let's shift to the government. Okay. And, and, and like, Humbly um, impressed by both, you know, Daphne and Suanne. You've both been active leaders in guiding our federal governments. Um, Daphne, speak about your time in the, the Obama administration and the role that you played.
3: Well, I had the greatest, greatest honor uh, of um, being asked by President Obama to chair his advisory commission on Asian-American and Pacific Islanders. Uh, And for me, my whole career has been in serving the AAPI community. And really, that is the ultimate position where I was able to be and help be one of 20 plus commissioners to be the ears and eyes of our community to the federal government. Uh, And so this was a time of when the ACA was being passed. So we were able to raise to like HHS, Health and Human Services, the challenges of the AAPI community being able to sign up for uh, the the Affordable Care Act. Uh, We were able to be at the table um, to address the need for disaggregation of data uh, that I talked about as well too, how important it is for each and every agency within the federal government to be able to know their constituents, and you, the only way you know is through data, 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 as Marika knows, and really disaggregated <laughs> data. The other major issue is interesting because actually I am not a math or science oriented person at all. So for me to talk about data, I find pretty funny, but realize that this is so key to the AAPI community. The other issue that we are constantly raising is the need for um, language access for our community, as Mariko said. About now, about half of them are U.S. born, but that means half are immigrants and still uh, need uh, assistance and uh, language materials, yeah. culturally sensitive yeah. information, and materials translated. And the fed, this is the federal government's role, right? And so we constantly had to raise why our communities needed this. So the tremendous opportunity to serve, to be able to uh, be a face and to show the AAPI community that we can be at the table and how important it is for all of us uh, to be able to speak up and to be at all the tables. Uh, whether it's at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level. Uh, And I would encourage all of your listeners out there that if you have the opportunity to nominate or if you have staff or employees or peers that you think might be good in um, being a voice for the AAPI community and whatever commission or board, Um, or even a nonprofit board or corporate board, we need our voices to be heard all over the place.
1: Absolutely. So Sue you have been um, serving the Biden administration. Share with us your experience.
2: So um, let me make a a correction. I don't serve the Biden uh, administration directly. However, how I support are in three different ways. One is from a national perspective with this, uh, the okay. National Center for um, Asian it's, it's the NCApa group is what they're called. And so they have centralized all the, the Asian groups, like 38 Asian-American groups, and there are a lot of things that we do within that, whether it, they're driving policy, and then they have non-policy issues like nominations, influencing the Biden administration, about who's in their cabinet okay. is their representation. Okay. Thank you. From yeah. that nature. And then there's also, you know, um, being invited by like the White House Initiative for AAPIs, where w- they actually, right when that March 16th occurred, I think within probably 72 hours, we probably got invited uh, as leaders of community organizations and national mm-hmm. organizations to talk with like the um, Ambassador Susan Rice and Congressman Cedric Richmond. And there were like multiple listening sessions at the the Department of Justice, you know, so to share kind of what the community is experiencing, kind of how are we doing, what do we need from the government entity. So there was a lot of those kind of information sharing Mm -hmm. types of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, situations. And I think that was important because you know they were literally saying what are some things that what are things that are working in the community in terms of supporting the community give us specific examples of what that looks like and how can we replicate that so that we can spread that across the country whatever is working out there so the more specific we were able to do so like whether it's apala or you know whether it's uh, the 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 asian americans advancing justice NAPOF, all these different organizations that were able to say this is what we need. Language access, by the way, was very well, uh, uh, you know, communicated as far as mm-hmm. one of the needs. Do it on the front end, not on the back end as an afterthought, right? And how are we serving these communities that don't have technology? And what are we going to do if they don't have broadband? What do we do? You know, how do we get these resources out there? And by the way, the, the other piece that I would say was important was the U.S. Census mm-hmm. work last Damn. year. That was tremendous. That, and Daphne knows this she was very involved in it from an APIA vote and all these other and OCA and other organizations. But that's another example of being heard, being counted to be able to then get that funding necessary for those community, whether it's yeah. for schools or community services. So those are the way that I support. And then I amplify other organizations as well mm-hmm. who are doing this tremendous work. So I want to make sure that I'm clear on how I'm supporting, but I think it is important to amplify, to provide a venue for these Absolutely. voices to be heard. And so those are the ways that I'm supporting.
1: Yeah, no, and I, and I commend you both for taking such lead roles, right, and really guiding and advising, you know, both, you know, governmental administration teams and, and doing it on top of everything else, <laughs> you know, your day jobs, your lives, um, but it's, it's paramount. Right. Um, so let's shift to okay. Well, so what does somebody do? You know, we we clearly need to play a lead role in in guiding our government to to do all that they can. But what can we as leaders and organizations in the workplace do? Um, Mariko, I think you had shared with us. You there, there's a leader that comes to mind from your perspective. Who's he has has practiced what he preaches.
4: Yes, and um, that is the CEO of Nielsen, David Kenny, um, and uh, he is an example of of a corporate leader who could actually make an impact. And I think there's a couple of things when I think about his success uh, and what he does that's so impactful. One is that, you know, he's very authentic, right in um, in his in his voice. He himself actually assumed the responsibility of not just a CEO but the chief diversity officer as well, and that in itself spoke millions. Right? That oh, it's indeed, <laughs> important to him. But I think what 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 he does so well is that he shares his uh, his his uh, passion for d- diversity and inclusion in a very personal way. Um, he responds. When things happen. uh, He actually is very bold in the things that he says um, because I think that, you know, as a leader in a corporate environment, it's always more sustainable for something to be a want if they want to do it versus something they have to do, right? And I think that's the kind of culture that he creates is that, you know, he, he makes people want to be more inclusive want to be more, um, more empathetic uh, and have a diverse, uh, diverse culture. But I think, you know, one of the big things uh, that leaders uh, are now starting to see is this direct correlation between diverse, uh, diverse and inclusive culture with talent acquisition and talent,
1: mm-hmm, acquisition, mm-hmm.
4: right? And that means bottom line. So um, 48% of Gen Zs are multicultural, are people of color. And so if they, if you want to hire and and for them, that is key. Culture is key in where they decide to work or where they decide to actually stay to work. Um, And so having programming that actually, uh, you know, um, celebrates diversity and really, uh, you know, emphasize inclusivity is actually better for for the bottom line, you know, for the bottom line. And um, I will say, you know, Sue Ann was just talking about all the ways in which she's communi- uh, she's contributing, and we at our Asian American uh, ERG, we actually had Sue Ann come in and do a training, right, uh, for AAPI uh, employees, associates specifically, because we have we have our own uh, challenges right? Um, Being able to influence without having, uh, you know, uh, to be able to influence in a room, you know, to be able to speak up in corporate meetings, all these things that are unique to, or are unique and important to Asian American associates, Sue was able to really help us and address. So I think, you know, um, there is so much that people of in position, Daphne talked about government leaders, but corporate leaders, in equally can be impactful um, in really championing, uh, you know, women in the workplace and, and, and women of color in, in the workplace.
1: Yeah. And, and to your point, you know, Mariko, okay. A multitude of studies, no more studies, right? <laughs> no more data, but it's, it's so clear in this era of the great resignation Right? Everyone has shifted their priorities and expectations. There was a study recently. two out of three women have said, "I'm either gonna quit work altogether or I'm gonna shift jobs because I need an organization that meets my needs mm-hmm. and and you 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 like shown the spotlight on that so appropriately. Mariko, Suanne, tip or two for our audience. What can a leader or organization do to better support? female AANHPI leaders?
2: I'm so glad you asked that question, Sarah, because you know this is my heart and soul here. My so pleasure. <laughs> here, here's the deal. There's the individual responsibility in preparedness, and then there's a responsibility at the organizational level in terms of being able to be flexible enough to have that cultural overlay and the things that that individual needs may be a little different, Right. So from that aspect, I think, you know, when I think about recruitment, there's retention and then there's promotion. And -hmm. so if you think about it, retention, you better have the right people recruiting. Because if I hear things like, oh, I can't find a great candidate that are Asian, I don't you know. know. And I'm thinking, where are you looking? Yeah. Because if I can (laughs) go out and find somebody, then we're going to have to have a conversation. Right. And so, and then the retention is what are you doing in that environment? As Mariko uh, talked about is that culture, but there's, there has to be something that gives them a feeling of that sense of belonging in that organization to cause that retention. And then what is the plan for succession planning as, you know, you can't have, you can't say I have 30%, you know, Asian people in my company. So I'm good. Well, let's break that down to at what level are they? What level are they? and what's the breakdown of women, right? And so I think that as an ally, there are two things specifically. One is being visibly supportive of individuals who you think have potential and work with them, right? If they have areas for development, let's work with them and be specific on what it is that they can work on, but put your name out there as a sponsor, to say, I support this individual, they have great talent,
1: Absolutely. and they're
2: very viable. Number two is that we are, remember, we are not a monolith, as we talked about. So identity is at the individual level. So Mariko says, I'm Japanese American. Well, guess what, I consider myself Korean American, but I am, you know, more American probably than Korean in terms of because I grew up here in this yeah. country since I was eight. So that's what I would say is, be a sponsor, be out there visibly and look at your recruiting strategy and what you're doing and what are you doing in terms of your culture.
1: Absolutely,
3: thank you. Daphne, one last closing tip. I think the one thing I would ask people to do is to, whatever group you're in, department you're in, uh, once we can go back out, have experiential learning, go into the Asian American community so that you can learn, whether it's about housing Love or or whatever your issue area is. Absolutely, no,
1: perfect idea. It's all about that self-education, right? Oh, thank you so very much, Daphne, Suan, Mariko. You were incredible, you inspired me, and I know you have inspired our audience. I want to thank everybody who listened in today um, and, and, and for everybody who has been listening in, we have passed the 3,000 listener mark. I love you all. Yeah. Um, and, and Voice America, I want to thank you for giving me and the Network of Executive Women this opportunity to share our voice and our mission with all of you. So, join us next week, same time. Um, we're going to discuss the generations that coexist in our workplace environments. You've got your boomers, your Zers, your millennials, even your alphas now. And how do we leverage all of these unique perspectives and experiences? within each in our workplace. To learn more about NEW and listen to all of our podcasts, check us out at newonline.org. I'm Sarah Alter, and thank you for listening and have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Be sure to tune in again next week. Our program is live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Until we talk again, enjoy your week.